Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. We got an impact Saturday on deck for this upcoming movie of a slate that is week four of the college football season. You got Ohio State going to Notre Dame, Colorado going to Oregon. You got Florida State going to Clemson. The hard count is also going to Clemson to watch that game. We have a phenomenal slate and a phenomenal amount of impact that is about to be felt across the college football landscape. So what is going to be the impact of this Saturday? That is the major question. We're glad to have you here. It's college football. It's only college football every single day of the week, baby, all year round. We are live, though, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern, as we are right now. It is Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. This is the last one in history. So what we're going to do, going to look in the mirror, going to look at this show, going to look internally, and we're going to dominate today. And it starts right now talking college football and only college football for about the next hour or so. As we always do every single Wednesday on these live shows, going to give you our top 10 teams in the country. It is protected from the A people. It is protected from the coaches poll. It is protected from the computers that try and tell us what we see on the football field and how they rank it. You know what we do on here? We watch ball, you watch ball, sun up to sundown. So the nothing but ball top 10 will be released today through week three. Like I talked about at the top of this show, Impact Saturday. What's going to be the impact felt? We'll break it down for every single scenario, winner, loser, otherwise for Colorado, Oregon, for Ohio State, Notre Dame, for Florida State, Clemson, for Ole Miss, Alabama. Like I said, impact in spades this upcoming weekend. We'll talk about it and we'll explore every possible scenario and what it could mean for a variety of teams. A huge impact game that's kind of flying under the radar just a little bit now. 
There's a massive game for Jimbo Fisher and company in College Station, Texas. They welcome Hugh Freeze and the Auburn Tigers to Kyle Field. And that is a game now that we're going to predict. I'll just say this off the top. If you are Jimbo Fisher, it's only week four. But I think you have to call that one a must-win game, right? Like must-win kind of gets thrown around a little bit too casually in this sport. But like, make no mistake, that is a must-win game for the good folks in College Station. Before we do that, though, like we always do on every single Wednesday show, we got to kind of take a look around and check the forecast. Not so much for weather. We appreciate the weather, but we're kind of, uh, you know, rain, snow, sunshine, doesn't matter. We kind of keep the main thing the main thing. But when we check the forecast for this coming weekend, we got to check it for upsets. So we don't do a prediction collar shot kind of operation for this necessarily, even though one of these games we did actually predict and gave you a winner in. We're going to give you the percent chance of upset for four different games and teams that if they don't bring it could very well have a a higher likelihood of getting upset than the average bear this coming weekend. So a game that we already predicted on yesterday's show, Colorado plus 20 and a half going to Oregon. Now, if, if Colorado were to win this game, this would not be the first time they beat a three touchdown spread. And also Shador Sanders, from what we've seen from him to this point in the year, we know he's got that potential takeover factor to him. The game's going a certain way against Colorado State and Colorado's struggling to, you know, find a way to, to finish it at home. And, and they have the ball in the two-yard line, 98 yards to go. Doesn't matter. He just puts on the cape, Vego, and win that football game by forcing overtime on that drive. And I think if if Oregon is going to lose to Colorado, it would be because they do not have an answer for the perimeter play of Colorado. Xavier Weaver, absolute dog. Jimmy Horn Jr., absolute dog. No Travis Hunter, but even so, do not sleep on that receiving core if you're Oregon. Shadur Sanders and those individuals will make you pay if you don't plan accordingly. Getting to a track meet, I think Colorado wants to play that style of game. Now, defensively for Colorado in this game, Charles Kelly, defensive coordinator coming over from Alabama to coach the entire defense at Colorado, uh, he's going to have to dial it up. Like, if, if they play this game straight up, our guys versus your guys in that front seven, Colorado will not win. Got to find a way to confuse that front of Oregon. Got to find a way to kind of throw Bo Nix off of his game and find a way to limit the efficacy of the Oregon run game going to be absolutely huge all right got to find a way to get more possessions for your stud quarterback in Shadur Sanders even so I think there's a 39 percent chance of upset for Colorado going to Eugene and we'll talk more about that game here in just a little bit UTSA going to Knoxville Tennessee to play the Vols. The Vols kind of licking their wounds a little bit from that game against Florida. Is there a hangover there? Is there a little bit of Florida beats you not just one game, but beats you twice because you don't bring your A game coming back home and playing a lesser opponent? We'll see. A key ingredient for this game, Frank Harris is probably the best quarterback in college football that nobody seems to talk about. He's dinged up right now. He's day-to-day at the time of us being live right now. He has to play for UTSA to pull off the upset. Has to play. If he doesn't play in this game, percent chance of upset goes down to zero. All right, so that has to happen. If you're Tennessee now, you got to clean up the intermediate pass game because there's a lot of talk around Joe Milton and how far he can throw it and his deep ball. And like, I wasn't honestly overly concerned by what I saw in that Florida game with what he was doing throwing the ball deep. I was concerned with how consistent they were on those throws that were 10 to 15 yards. 
Like those throws, I didn't see Florida do a ton that would make that difficult in coverage. Now they applied some pressure. I understand things like that. It wasn't a clean pocket all the time for Joe Milton. But even so, when those shots are there and we're the Tennessee offense, we got we to gotta hit on those. Like we, we got to take doubles. We'll take home runs all day long, but when they give us a double, when we got just an easy 10-yard completion, we can't throw that in the dirt. And if that's not dialed in this week, UTSA, if Frank Harris plays, has a chance to kind of hang around, make it interesting. You're checking the box score right around the third quarter. You're like, wait a second. Tennessee's only up by a touchdown on UTSA at the crib? Turn that on. You you don't want to have that feeling. So percent chance of upset in that game for UTSA, I think they're at 17% chance of upsetting Tennessee. Arkansas going to LSU this week. Now, Arkansas just dropped a tough one against BYU. LSU had a phenomenal showing against Mississippi State, and that's why the spread is what it is. They are 17.5-point dogs as Arkansas going to Baton Rouge. Now, I hate this spot for LSU. We talked about spots last week with Florida State and Boston College and said, hey, keep an eye on this one now. I hate this spot for Florida State. Got to go on the road. Boston College, noon kick. You got Clemson next week. I similar, In a similar sense, I hate this spot for LSU. I don't think it's as bad a spot as Florida State had last week against Boston College. But even so, coming off a huge win, and you go to Ole Miss next week if you're LSU. So are you able to kind of hit the reset button, hit the recalibration button like we've hoped this team would in year two under Brian Kelly? Or is it a thing where, hey, one week it's LSU looking great, the next week it's LSU and we don't even recognize them from the week before? That cannot be the case because Arkansas got a quarterback in KJ Jefferson that the majority of the college football public knows he can hurt you with his legs and with his arm. And when anytime you have a quarterback that has that what-if factor to him who's got a proven resume to him KJ Jefferson played a lot of football not only is he extremely talented just schematically there's some things within this game that could make LSU a little bit off balance the quarterback run game is so annoying to defend because you get an extra blocker if you're Arkansas typically average running play you have nine blockers one ball carrier the quarterback's kind of just handing it off and watching everything happen quarterback run game you get 10 blockers because that running back now can lead block for the quarterback so you hate that if you're LSU you're gonna have to prep for it during the week I think LSU should take care of business if they play to their standard and play to their level of potential on that roster but even so man I'm nervous with KJ Jefferson and I'm nervous with that spot for LSU so we give Arkansas a 24% chance to upset LSU based on our extremely complex algorithm and numbers that we have crunched and stayed up all night, you know, tinkering with this formula, if you will. Uh, Texas going to Baylor. Baylor is a 14.5-point dog night game in Waco. McLean Stadium, and and, and there is kind of a, a conversation to be had about the atmosphere in McLean Stadium week in and week out for Baylor. Right now, they don't have a ton to cheer for with how Baylor has started. But I can say from having been in that stadium, when you have the attention of that fan base, it's pretty electric now. It's not, it's not the biggest stadium in the world, so it kind of packs in pretty well when they have a good opponent in town. And for Texas now, remember, they go to the SEC next year. This is their first game in the Big 12 Conference in 2023. This is Baylor's Super Bowl. And that's not to talk down on Baylor. Texas is going to be everybody's Super Bowl when they play them in the Big 12. 
So the reality for Texas is that hangover that you had against Alabama going into the Wyoming game, you know, you had a great win in Tuscaloosa. That was awesome. We saw it. We saw all we needed to see in terms of what that roster can be. But when it comes to playing lesser competition, we always talk about this with Texas. You can't look one way against Alabama and then have a tremendous step down against a team like Wyoming the next week. Now, they handled Wyoming in the fourth quarter. So a win is a win. I don't think you scoff at any wins in college football but if they want to go out there and kind of sleepwalk for a quarter and a half and let the crowd get engaged things could get dicey so the roster itself is good enough to beat Baylor make no mistake Texas should win this football game but it's personal for Baylor and head coach Dave Aranda is one of the best minds in college football I truly believe that he's going to have a great game plan in place for Baylor now now do they execute we'll see but at the very least defensively do not be surprised if Baylor gives Texas a little bit of trouble early. Now, Baylor lost to Texas State early in the year, and then Utah came to town and they gave them trouble. So, like, a pretty wide degree of variance here from what we're going to see from the Bears. Even so, I think Baylor has a 15% chance to upset Texas in McLean Stadium. So that's kind of the upset forecast. We're not predicting any of these, just kind of giving you a pulse for what we expect for this coming Saturday and a couple of games to keep an eye on when that ticker is rolling on Saturday afternoon. Appreciate everybody locked in right now. Appreciate everybody that is already subscribed to the channel. Thank you for that. If you could like the video, we're at a streak now. I've kind of kept this, uh, I don't know if quiet's the right word. We haven't talked about it a lot. We, we are over 20 shows in a row with 100 likes before we get off the air. So if you could just like the video, we'll be well over 100 and we will keep that streak going to I think we're somewhere around 22 shows in a row now so let's go for uh let's go for 23 let's get the Jordan year going uh we got some more to break down here nothing but ball pull in just a second before we get to that though got to tell y'all about Roback Roback is bringing the hard count to y'all today and we appreciate them so much I've rocked with Roback really since we did this show in a lobby in Waco Texas so we appreciate them always being a part of the hard count really since day one. And I love Roback. Wear them all the time for a reason. They have the best polos on the market. If you need a polo to last you the entire day on a hot game day, I know a lot of y'all now tailgating, grilling, game may not be till night. So you're kind of out there all day. You don't want to smell bad. You don't want to have to go change shirts, change polos. The Roback polo will, will last you the entire day. Moisture-wicking technology, four-way stretch, makes it so easy to move in while keeping you feeling fresh. Now, also, Roback's everyday shorts, perfect pairing. So comfortable, have elastic waistband, great fabric that is made to stretch. Roback also been in the NIL game a little bit, all right? They, they have led the NIL charge, signing partnerships with guys like Kate Klubnick, Kyle McCord, Nick Singleton, Jalen Milrow, Audrick Estime, all guys with very big spots this upcoming weekend. Also teamed up with the legendary Coach O. They have a phenomenal ad out right now. It's worth your time to, after the show, of course, go and check that out on Twitter. It's just a hilarious spot with Coach O taking over the Roback headquarters and like being CEO for a period of time, the interim CEO, if you will. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's all that you would expect it to be from Coach O. So use code JD on Roback.com for a generous 20% off for all new customers through the end of this week. That is spelled R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. That's 20% off all performance polos, shorts, and more with code JD. Just in time for football season, make sure you go check them out at Roback.com. So we appreciate the good people at Roback making that happen. Seriously, that ad is definitely worth your time. All right. It is here now. 
through week three of the college football season, we have our top 10 teams across the college football landscape. We appreciate the AP poll. We don't go by the AP poll. We appreciate the coaches poll. We don't go by the coaches poll. I love technology. This, this show is brought to you through technology. The fact that you're able to watch this on your computer through a machine, we love that, but we don't trust that with our college football, right? What we trust is what we see with our eyes watching college football every single Saturday. And I'm telling you this, machines, I don't believe, watch every single college football game. Coaches, I don't believe, watch every single college football game outside of their opponents. I don't even think the AP watches college football the way that you and I watch college football. So with that being said, we're going to tell you who we believe are the top 10 teams in the country in this week's Nothing But Ball poll. Get at me on Twitter, get at me on Instagram, and let me know what you agree with, what you disagree with. We'd love to hear from y'all. I'm sure we'll all agree, though, 100% when it comes to this list, uh, speaking there facetiously, of course, at Judy Pacal on Instagram and on Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it. All right, let's get into it. At number 10, the Washington Huskies. And I have been extremely impressed with Michael Penix Jr. There is no question about it. He is in that top three conversation for the Heisman Trophy. It's only week four, so take that with a grain of salt. He's been dealing. They have some of the best weapons in the country catching the football for him. And they have been dominant to this point. Now, October 14th is a day that you have circled if you're a college football fan for a variety of matchups. But they welcome Oregon to town that day. And that's the game that I'm really curious to see. Because Oregon, in my mind, is just a step ahead of where Washington is right now. And the Washington Husky faithful have let us know about that on Twitter. So to kind of transition here to our number nine team, I got Oregon at number nine. And the biggest, I think, complaint I've gotten when it comes to our top 10 has been, well, you got Oregon ahead of Washington. JD, are you seeing Michael Penix Jr. dealing the pillar around like a shady pharmacist? Are you seeing Roma Dunze just absolutely doing whatever he wants to defensive backs on the field? Yes, I'm seeing all that. I saw it. I appreciate it. I commend it. But with that being said, in the small sample size we have right now, I am more impressed with Oregon's win at Texas Tech. Washington, they throttled Michigan State. No way around it. But Michigan State's kind of got their own issues they're dealing with. I think Oregon, the way that they're built and what they have under the hood that we've seen so far, Bo Nix playing quarterback, gritty approach that is from the top down with Dan Lanning calling the shots. They play complimentary football. Defense looks improved. Secondary still has some questions. They look improved for me. I got Oregon as our number nine team in the country on the nothing but ball pull. At number eight now, this is not your Rudy's fighting Irish. Notre Dame for us at number eight. Everything to this point for Marcus Freeman, what he did in the offseason, going and acquiring Sam Hartman, and the way they have tinkered and, and had to adjust this staff, it has worked. It's only week four, but it's worked to this point. This is his second year. This is Sam Hartman's first year. To this point, all good. Now, in this game against Ohio State this coming weekend, you get to see where you really stack up. And to be honest with you, this is the game that you run your entire process through this is, this is the filter for you, and this is the game that Sam Hartman came to Notre Dame for. For games like this, where Ohio State comes to town, and you may need to score 40. That might have to be a world that you live in if you're Notre Dame. You feel much better about that now with the balance you have offensively and who you have playing quarterback for you, and the way your receiving court has looked to this point in the year gives you some encouragement. So for us, Notre Dame at 8 this week, if they beat Ohio State... We're going to have, have a, a very serious conversation with Notre Dame potentially
being a top five, top four team in the country. So take that as you will. But number eight this week in the nothing but ball poll. Penn State, number seven for us this week. They're pretty steady at number seven. They throttled Illinois. They play a dinged up Iowa this coming week. Wideout conditions. Drew Aller has not looked like a first-year starting quarterback. Really impressed with him. But a, a part of this team that is not getting nearly enough buzz is the defense, man. I believe they forced four interceptions against Luke Altmeyer last week with Illinois. Like, this is a team now that you love what they have offensively because of Drew Aller, because of the backfield. Keandre Lambert-Smith making his presence felt and stepping up as that alpha dog wide receiver. But I'm telling you, man, the defense... The defense is why you feel so good about Penn State when it comes to those games against Ohio State, against Michigan, because of how they match up. The talent level on that side of the football, the experience level on that side of the football, and the depth, this is a different ball club now than we've seen from previous Penn State teams. So Penn State for us, number seven right now, but when they get into the back half of this schedule, do not be surprised if they start shooting up the rankings and making some very legitimate noise. At number six, we got Ohio State. We already talked about the game against Notre Dame. It's going to be huge. To be honest, it was just nice to see them look the part last week against Western Kentucky. Hung 63 on them. Kyle McCord looked like the guy in two facets. One on the field, he was dealing, right? Had that fumble, bounced back, throws three touchdowns, no problem. Keep this good thing rolling, and let's get on to this game and go to South Bend, Indiana. That's great. I love that. Love seeing the offensive production. The other side of things, though, how cool was it to see Devin Brown step in there, sling the pill around, throw a touchdown, and one of the first dudes to dap him up and congratulate him, Kyle McCord. The confidence you have to have and the security you have to have to go and just be a good teammate, quite honestly, to the guy that you were competing with for the better part of the last few months, like that to me said a lot about Kyle McCord. There was no cold shoulder. There was no like emotionless, just high five. It was legitimately like, hey, I'm happy that you threw that touchdown pass. I'm happy for you to have success. So he feels secure as the guy. It was cool to see him be a leader in that sense. Maybe we're reading too much into it, but even so, I was encouraged to see that. Ohio State at number six for us this week. Texas at number five, beat Wyoming. A little bit of that Bama hangover potentially played with their food for the better part of like three quarters, then found a way to turn it on in the fourth quarter. It is what it is. You go to Baylor this coming week. And the thing with Texas now, we all know this, they can win every single game on their schedule. They can. Bama was the enormous hurdle. Bama was the big litmus test. You can beat Bama in Tuscaloosa. You feel pretty good about every other game that you have in front of you. Now, it's very fitting that their big win, their arrival moment, more or less, came in week two because they got the rest of the schedule now where they have to walk this tightrope and take every opponent seriously and play like they are playing Alabama every single week. Now, that's not to say they don't have good opponents on the schedule. Still, they play Oklahoma. That'll be big in Red River, BYU. You got K-State, Texas Tech, like still some opponents that could give you issues. But what we're going to see now, it's not a question of the roster. The roster is no longer the concern in Austin, Texas. The question is the culture. And the culture now, when I say there's a question there, it's not, oh man, is the culture good enough to win? Culture's good enough to win now. Culture is substantially improved. You don't go into Bryant-Denny Stadium and slay the dragon if the culture isn't at a point to where you can win football games. The question now is how much is it improved? Is it championship-level culture? Championship-level culture takes every game seriously, 
focuses internally every single game, not worried about who you're playing, treats every game like it's Alabama at night with college game day there. Whether it's K-State, whether it's Texas Tech, whether it's at Iowa State, you treat every single game the same. So like I said, the beautiful part about this, having the big game in week two, the big win in week two, is we're going to very much so get a good gauge for where that culture's at for Texas. So for us, number five this week, they will climb if they keep winning football games. That's for everybody on this list, but that's definitely true for Texas based on their resume right now. Now, another pushback we get when it comes to our nothing but ball poll at this point in time, USC is number four for us. They had a bye week. They won the bye week. I'm imagining they go to Arizona State this week. But a lot of people now, when they see this list, one of the main frustrations is, hey, why do you have USC so high? Who have they played? Understandable. I hear you. A win against San Jose State in a throttling of Stanford doesn't necessarily like hang the banner for you as one of the top teams in the country. I hear that. But for me, again, going back to the name of this poll, the nothing but ball poll, I happen to believe and really feel this way that Caleb Williams being the best player in the country now, when USC has their best day, that probably goes hand in hand with Caleb Williams having his best day, and USC can beat anybody in the country. I'm, uh, the, the, the stream did not cut out. That's just truly how we feel about USC right now. I think they can be anybody in the country when they have their best day. So for me, it's just hard to put them outside the top four right now. We'll learn a lot about them October 14th when they play Notre Dame. We'll also get a good gauge for them here in a couple of weeks when they play Colorado. They're going to play an offense that can score. So the USC defense will kind of have to round into not final form, but in pretty respectable form here sooner rather than later. But USC for us, number four this week. And number three, a team we're going to go see, Florida State. They go to Clemson. Cannot wait to watch that game. This is what it has led up to for Mike Norvell and company. This is why Jordan Travis comes back. This is why Jared Verse comes back. Yes, the draft stock, I'm sure, is a part of it. But for a game like this, to go and take the crown from the team that has the crown in the ACC, and that's Clemson. It's also why you go out and get a Keon Coleman, why you go out and get a Jaheim Bell for games like this, to get your team over the hump. And we talked about it a lot this offseason when it came to Florida State. I happen to believe that for Florida State to take that next step to winning the ACC, to being a college football playoff team, it starts on the offensive side of the ball. And not for them just being a good offense. I'm talking about being a 40 points a game kind of offense. Last year scored 35 a game. I think in this game against Clemson, they have a chance now to really rev that engine, really show what they have offensively. They showed against LSU. I want to see it again on the road in Death Valley at a noon kick against a team that has stood in your way for the better part of the last decade. This is the game for Florida State at number three this week on the nothing but ball pull. At number two, got Michigan. Hard to learn much about them versus the competition. The thing with me with Michigan I wonder if this whole thing with Jim Harbaugh and the NCAA doesn't just piss them off a little bit, man. Doesn't just make them a little bit extra angry. I wonder if this Jim Harbaugh situation gives them the extra chip on their shoulder that they seem to thrive off of because they took this whole thing personally. And for Michigan to have more ammunition, more fuel to that fire that they seem to thrive off of, of nobody believes in us, it's us versus the world, like that would concern me if I'm a Big Ten opponent having to play Michigan. 
schematically. We talk about it every week. J.J. McCarthy and him taking another step forward. Had some interceptions this past weekend. We're not going to read too deeply into that. You can't have it going forward. But even so, Michigan, with the edge they're playing with, keep an eye on them. I wonder if that isn't the uh, the X factor for them going forward. And uh, Jim Harbaugh rejoining them here. So that'll be good for Michigan as they get rolling. Georgia, number one in the country. Most talented roster in the country. But the internal temperature for them is what makes that whole thing go. Like there was a clip floating around Twitter this morning and it's Kirby Smart on the mic, just getting after his guys at practice. Talking about, is it too hot for us to have leadership? We want to be tired. We don't want to execute. Like, the standard he holds those guys to, I really believe, is second to none. And so the Tuesday for Georgia, a lot of times, is going to be tougher than what they have to do on Saturday. Now, it was good to see them kind of kick it into gear on Saturday in that second half and fall back on their traits. And the depth kind of took over for Georgia to beat a team like South Carolina who had a good quarterback, by the way, and Spencer Rattler. He was dialed in for the majority of that game. You're going to need Carson Beck to cut it loose a little bit more. Like, get my guy a Red Bull on the sideline, get him some wings, and have him air it out a little bit more to a Brock Bowers or to a Dominique Lovett. Like, let's push the ball downfield more. That's going to have to happen at some point, but I'll say it again. What Georgia is right now is very different than what they're going to be when it comes to November. Right now, you see Georgia, you say, Really? That's the team going for a three-peat? I don't know. They were down at the half to South Carolina in Athens. What's up with that? I would not I would not take that bait. This team's going to trend upward, and by November, nobody will want to play Georgia is how I feel. But again, going back to that temperature internally, they set it because of what Kirby Smart expects of that team and calls them to. He doesn't care about the hardware from last year. As far as he's concerned, this team hasn't done anything, and that's the reason why they're so dangerous. So to recap it for you, Washington at 10, Oregon at 9, Notre Dame at number 8, Penn State at number 7. You got Ohio State at 6, Texas at 5, USC at 4, Florida State at 3. Cannot wait to watch them against Clemson. Michigan at 2, and Georgia at number 1 in the nothing but ball top 10 through week 3 of the college football season. A beautiful thing it is, man. Beautiful thing to have college football back on the television screen. I'm going to tweet this out and let the good folks know we're about to talk about a the impact of this upcoming Saturday, because there is no shortage of impact when it comes to what could be going down when uh, we turn on the television screen. Oh, I guess it would be Saturday right around midnight. What are going to be the storylines, man? There will be a plethora. I don't know if we've ever used the, used the word uh, plethora on this show, but plethora, making a debut on the show. There will be a multitude, a variety, whatever you want to put to it. There's going to be a lot of different headlines as it pertains to the college football playoff, as it pertains to different conference races. The ACC now, very, very big game in terms of who could end up winning that thing. That'll that'll happen in Death Valley, obviously, but just kind of want to walk through game by game here. Hey, what happens if Florida State wins? What happens if Clemson wins? What happens if Notre Dame wins? What happens if Ohio State wins? So kind of walking down the path here of the impact that could be felt from this high-impact Saturday, all right? So without further ado, the game that we're going to, Florida State at Clemson. Cannot wait to be there. Cannot wait to see all y'all there. Get at me on uh, Instagram and on Twitter, at Judy Pakel. Send me food, Rex. Let me know what, what the spots are in Clemson, South Carolina. It's a noon kick, so we're not going to obviously be out and about to that degree, but want to see this town. Want to see what y'all have to offer there in beautiful Clemson, South Carolina. Also, make sure you're subscribed to the channel. We appreciate y'all in advance for doing that. Florida State, a win for them, it would be the feeling that they finally arrived. 
And last year was a good year. Make no mistake about it. There was conversation around, is Mike Norvell even the right guy at Florida State? Is he the right guy to get him over the hump and win the ACC and get Florida State back to prominence? And then they went and did what they did last year. Now this year, the expectation bar is starting to raise. And the expectation is ACC championship or bust, along with making the college football playoff. You don't get to do that unless you beat Clemson, either now or later. And so for this game, should they, should they beat Clemson? It would feel like, okay, the throne. I don't know if Florida State's sitting in the throne, but they've definitely, at the very least, pushed Clemson out of the throne. Because a loss for Clemson, I, we, we don't want to be hyperbolic on this show. We try not to do that. We try not to overreact. But it would really feel like the end of Clemson. And at least the end of Clemson for 2023. Because the ACC title 100% gets thrown into jeopardy. Probably need some help to get that done or at the very least, your margins become extremely, extremely thin. The bigger part, though, no college football playoff for Clemson. There was a stretch there where Clemson pretty much made their reservations before the season. They were going to be in one of those semifinal games. And then for however many years in a row now, Clemson to miss that and to be out of the race by week four, losing to two ACC opponents, like it would get very loud in Clemson, South Carolina be a lot of noise around Dabo and the way that they do things and the portal and like like that volume would just start to get turned all the way up now if Clemson were to win this football game Lee Corso mode not so fast y'all thought we were out of it y'all thought we were done y'all thought we were down for the count like all all those phrases come to mind if you're a Clemson fan and you win this game because a lot of people, myself are included, are expecting Florida State to go in there and win this game. It feels like Florida State's time. But if Clemson pulls it off, it means the offense probably got rejuvenated. It means Cade Klubnick probably did enough things to bring this offense to have a, a, a offensive an output to where they can outscore Florida State. The defense also probably bowed up and just played lockdown. And it probably means that you can lean on that defense for a lot of these games where you play an offense that's going to be potentially a, a difficult matchup for you like Florida State has with a Johnny Wilson and a Keon Coleman and what they do running the football like you feel wildly different about Clemson should they beat Florida State in Death Valley and for Florida State should you lose that game just the ultimate gut punch you build to a year like this you go to the portal for a year like this guys come back for a year like this and a big part of a year like this is beating Clemson in the regular season very very likely that we could see this matchup again in the ACC title game should Clemson win this game but even so like you get a gut punch to the stomach because of the the impact it would have on your season and what it would mean and also you go into playoff mode like you can't be a two-loss team and make the college football playoff if we're trusting history and we tend to trust history on this show like it's not a world you want to live in if you're Florida State so massive massive impact there for both sides of that operation Colorado going to Oregon. If Colorado wins this football game, man, can, can we imagine just the juice around that team heading into the game against USC? Like, no Travis Hunter in this football game. They're 21-point dogs. There's so much talk around, do you believe, do you not believe? And we've sort of addressed that a little bit on this show. I think the believe versus not believe conversation is minorly overrated. But even so, if they beat Oregon in Autzen Stadium, there's no more do you believe, do you not believe. Seeing is believing. And to see them beat a team like Oregon, 
there's no more questioning for me if Colorado can go and win the conference. At that point, I'm like, okay, I'm 100% bought in. I'm like believing to a degree that I've seen so far, but if you beat Oregon, I'm all in. I'm, hey, I'm, I'm believing at that point. When it comes to Oregon, though, if they were to drop that game, we question everything with the Ducks. Like, how does this game look also if they lose at home to Colorado? Favored by 21 points. Like, is there a lot of turnovers? Does Bo Nix revert to bad Bo Nix that we haven't seen in a while? Is this secondary as bad as it was last year and we just got real issues defensively? Like, how does it look? That's one part. But we question what they are in this conference title race. I don't know if we view Oregon as one of the top teams in the Pac-12 anymore. Maybe we do, but we, we don't put them ahead of a team like USC or ahead of a team like Utah. Can't put them ahead of a team like, like Colorado. Where are they with Oregon State? Like we, we just totally have to reshape our perspective around Oregon if they lose this game at home. Now, if Oregon wins, it's kind of confirmation of what we believed about them already. And a little subplot here, the message it would send, there's a lot of eyeballs on this game. By nature of Coach Prime being who he is, by nature of Shadur Sanders having the year he's having, by nature of college game day going to Colorado last week to play Colorado State. Like, it wasn't the matchup they were there for. They were there for Colorado. America has a very large demand right now for Colorado football. Supply and demand. That's kind of how this whole media industry works as a whole. And so if, if they were to beat... Colorado, a lot of people would see it. And I think the respect factor for Oregon in some people's minds would probably climb just a little bit. Now, again, we, we understand Oregon is Oregon and it would just be validation of what we kind of expect from them already going into this season with how they're built. For Colorado, though, if they drop this game, there will be an overreaction. I'm telling you right now, there will be an overreaction that Coach Prime got exposed, that Colorado was fraudulent, that Shador Sanders isn't a great quarterback, that they got lucky the first few games. That is an overreaction. Do not buy into that. What we saw from Colorado to this point in the year is already extremely impressive in itself and should stand on its own. That's one of the reasons why I'm not a big fan of the do you believe, do you not believe. It's like, I believe as much as I've seen. And I think that's totally fair for us to say we believe what we've seen. You beat TCU, who played for a national title last year. You beat Nebraska who has a good head coach in Matt Rule, and you beat Colorado State. Rivalry game. Like, that's all good, I believe, to that point. But we don't have to just say they're a bad football team if they get beat by Oregon. Vegas thinks they're going to get beat by Oregon. They're three touchdown dogs. So let's kind of put the believe to not believe conversation aside, assess them by what they are right now, which is a team that has overachieved in year one to this point and has a lot of football left to play. Coach Prime, what he's done there, can't overstate the impressive nature of that. Shadur Sanders, like I said, if you believe or not believe around Colorado, you better believe that's a good football player because he can sling the rock. Everything goes through him for Colorado. So overreaction is coming in hot if they drop that game to Oregon. But let's, let's kind of temper that down just a little bit and uh, give it some more time to bake when it comes to what we assess Colorado to be for the entirety of the 2023 season. Massive impact here. One of the, uh, maybe not the most impact, but one of the most impactful games on the slate. Ole Miss going to Alabama. An Ole Miss victory, man. How would we view Lane Kiffin if they go into Bryant-Denny Stadium and Lane Kiffin beats his former boss and Nick Saban? Woo! Can we imagine what that would be like? Can we imagine the Lane Kiffin post-game press conference for a second? That'd be incredible. They'll be electric in the air in Oxford, Mississippi when they get back. I think you'd have to start viewing Lane Kiffin 
as a tier one coach in college football. Now, is that an overreaction? Probably. But I think it's fair for us to lean that way if you go and beat the greatest of all time at his crib. I'm talking about Steve Sarkeesian that way right now. I think we talk about Lane Kiffin that way. Also, in the SEC race, I think there's a very real case for Ole Miss to be at the top of the SEC West. And if not the top, what are they, 1B behind LSU? And we'll get that game next week. I'll say this too, if Ole Miss does beat Alabama, very, 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 very possible that we end up going to that game. So keep an eye out for that announcement. But if Alabama loses this game, like I was talking about within this whole scenario and impact world we're living in, we talked about it yesterday. I, I have a hard time believing that Alabama is really not Alabama until I see the dead body in 2023. If they lose at home for the second game this season, that to me would be okay. Now I see Alabama with two losses through week four of the season. Okay, that is the dead body. And the, the comparison I draw back is like any time in a movie, whenever a character dies, and I put that in air quotes for y'all that are listening on podcasts, anytime a character dies, quote unquote, and then comes back later in the show, you never saw the body. You never saw that character actually die. Same thing for Bama. Everyone's saying Bama's down, Bama's dead, they lost to Texas, didn't look great against USF. Until I see it happen, until I see them with two losses, until I see them lose to Ole Miss, I'm not going to believe it. But if they lose to Ole Miss, we have no choice but to believe it because the proof is right there. Now, if Alabama wins, are their problems just fixed? Is it sunshine and rainbows? Is it Jalen Murrow for Heisman? I don't know about all that. But you do survive another week to have another chance to figure it out and to play for what you want to play for. For Ole Miss, if they were to drop this game, I mean, it kind of feels like a, all right, if not now, if we can't beat Saban where they have no idea who's playing quarterback week to week and they lose at home week two and they have trouble moving the ball offensively and they're having players-only meetings after games against USF, like when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And I said this yesterday, there are people in Ole Miss circles that feel like the conversation around Lane Kiffin could get a little loud. Now, I don't know if I believe that. I think that feels a little bit of a reach. But I understand there would be that feeling of, okay, we're not content just sitting here at third in the SEC West, brother. Like, we, we, lo- we love what Lane Kiffin's done to this point, but, like, we don't want to keep trying to push up this hill and then fall back a couple steps when we try and take down the top dog. We're, we're not here to cover spreads, as Lane Kiffin would say. So, a lot of impact there, for sure, for that game. And uh, the, the probably most impactful game that we should talk about and the game that we're going to talk about right now, top 10 matchup, South Bend, Indiana, Ohio State going to Notre Dame. And for Notre Dame to win this football game, man, it would be the ultimate validation of Marcus Freeman in two different ways. The first of which being everything that Marcus Freeman has done to this point since being the head coach of Notre Dame would be validated. Because they've put it on the wall, I believe. They put it on t-shirts. And if they haven't done that, they've at least made it their mantra, challenge everything. Challenge everything. The way that we used to do things was good. Wasn't good enough to get to where we want to go. Wasn't good enough for us to go win national titles. So we're going to challenge everything. We're going to reinvent the wheel. And we're going to go back to the drawing board and figure out what our Notre Dame is going to look like under Marcus Freeman. And it's for games like this that you did that. It's for games against the college football playoff contenders in Ohio State, that you did that. So if they get a win, validation from Marcus Freeman in that sense. The other part of this that would be validating is Notre Dame 
making Marcus Freeman the head coach. Because remember now, when Brian Kelly took that job, went to LSU, Notre Dame could have swung for the fence, right? Like they, they could have probably done a very national search, had a lot of big names in for interviews, had a lot of people on Zoom calls, could have had a lot of people come to South Bend and make the pitch to come be the head coach in Notre Dame. But instead, the administration says, you know what? That defensive coordinator, man, he's going to be a head coach at some point. Might as well throw him the keys to the castle right now, huh? And they did just that. And so if they beat Ohio State, it would be validation for making that decision when I would imagine it wasn't always the most popular in some circles. Now, internally, they always loved Marcus Freeman, but you understand the names they could have made an attempt at were pretty big. I have to imagine using the Notre Dame branding were probably pretty sizable. So Marcus Freeman being the guy beating Ohio State, that would be massive. Now, if Ohio State wins this football game, it would be the Kyle McCord coronation. Because there was so much talk around Devin Brown, what he did in the offseason, and there's still probably some people that are, even after saying what Kyle McCord did against Western Kentucky, feeling like, yeah, but Devin Brown, man, the juice he could give the offense, maybe we go with Devin Brown. Are we sure about this guy? Are we sure Kyle McCord's the guy? You go to South Bend, Indiana, and you beat a good Marcus Freeman defense, a good Al Golden defense, and Kyle McCord, I would imagine, if they do win this football game, probably has to play pretty well. I think you take a lot of the guessing out of, okay, did Ryan Day get the right guy? Yeah, he's got the right guy. They beat Notre Dame. The other part of this is there would be some reassurance for, I think, the entire country and especially the good folks in Columbus, Ohio, that the roster you have in place is achieving what it's built to achieve. Like, at the very least, the Michigan game is going to get here. The Penn State game is going to get here. But at the very least, you've seen against good competition, against equal level talent in some degree, you were able to execute how you were supposed to execute because sometimes you get a bunch of talent on the roster and it just doesn't come together how it's supposed to a&m is having that feeling right now they had that feeling last year for ohio state to make the moves they did in the portal to recruit how they have to win this game that would be a lot of validation and reassurance on that side of things that okay we can still talk about big 10 titles we can still talk about college football playoff appearances national titles because that's the standard but if you don't beat notre dame I'm not saying you can't still do those things. I'm just saying you start to question exactly if you have the chops to do those things. So there's that. For both sides, though, I think the uh, the, the scenario you find yourself if you lose this game is, is very clear. Like, it's, it's crystal clear. The loser of this football game goes into fight-or-flight mode when it comes to the college football playoff, when it comes to the national championship, and the climb itself is pretty steep. Like Notre Dame, they still have to play USC and Clemson. Ohio State, they still, have, they still have to play Penn State and Michigan. Like, make no mistake, to drop this game and to lose your mulligan that you would probably have in making the college football playoff, nobody with two losses has made it. I don't know if we can say that enough. Nobody with two losses ever made the college football playoff. And to have one in week four with the slate ahead of you would make you very nervous, would make you definitely in that fight-or-flight survival kind of mode the rest of the way. Not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying the impact would be enormous. So this is the kind of slate they make movies about. This is the kind of slate that you tell your kids about years down the line and say, yeah, week four, 2023, man, you just had to be there. So we will be there at Florida State Clemson. Well, I guess we're going to be at Clemson, but the Florida State Clemson game. And uh, cannot wait to watch this slate. Cannot wait to see what happens when the dust settles. And I promise you, Sunday morning, Get right back here on the On3 YouTube channel, and we will talk about all of it in its entirety 
in depth. So thank you in advance for that. Good crowd tuned in live, man. We appreciate y'all. Like I said, we got a little streak going right now. We, we haven't talked about it a ton, but we are over 20 shows in a row with over 100 likes before we get off the air. Now, we are right around 44, give or take, likes away from keeping that streak alive. Going to break down the Auburn at A&M game right now. But if you could just go ahead, like that video, little thumbs up button under the picture. Just go ahead and double check. Make sure you've liked it. Get over 100 before the show finishes and we'll be right on to the 23 shows in a row. Jordan year. Jordan show, I guess you could say. So thank you in advance for that. All right. Let's break this one down, man. Auburn going to Texas A&M. Noon kick ESPN. Texas A&M is a seven and a half point favorite at home. Makes sense. There is, there's no way to overstate this for AM. This is a must win. And we kind of hate that phrase around here, must win. But like this, the, the stakes cannot be overstated how high they are for Jimbo Fisher and company. You're at the crib. You've recruited so well. You've got so much talent. Also, you're up against a first-year head coach at his new spot that went to the portal and overhauled his roster to be competitive this year. Like this, this is the game for Jimbo Fisher where you got to knock this one out of the park. At the very least, you got to win this football game if you don't knock it out of the park. So, with that being said, Auburn is going to present some challenges. For them, I think this is kind of the game where you try and get a gauge for what they're going to be going forward. Because they haven't really played anybody just yet. Beat the brakes off Samford. They beat Cal. Like, there, there's no real gauge for us here for Auburn. And it's just tricky to see how it's all meshing. And that was our question at the beginning of the year. For Auburn, a lot of talent. We like Peyton Thorne, but he missed spring practice. It's a new staff. There's a lot of new people on that roster and on that staff. How does it come together? I think we get a really good, like I just said, gauge and litmus test from this game against a talented Texas A&M roster. So who's going to win this game? We'll break it down right now. Before we do that, though, make sure you're subscribed right here to the On3 YouTube channel. We talk college football and nothing but college football every single day live. Not once, not twice, but three times a week. No additives, no high fructose corn syrup. We say that a lot on here because it's true. No agendas, just college football, just fall Saturdays. You love college football. We love college football. We celebrate it accordingly every single day. So thank you in advance for being subscribed. Also follow me on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, and on Instagram, at JD Pacquel. Get at me on there, DM me or tweet at me, whatever. Let me know who you think is winning this football game and uh, by how much. What's your pick against that number? All right, the big matchup for me. The matchup that may ultimately define this football game is the Texas A&M front seven against Auburn's RPO scheme. And I, I, I made a little note on this point. This matchup is crucial for the entirety of the game, but especially early. Because Auburn, what they want to do offensively is run the football and put that defense on its heels by going quickly and by establishing some kind of rhythm offensively. And really what they want to do is play with the second level of that defense. Could be a safety, could be a linebacker, whoever's up there playing as that read defender, the guy that we're reading if we're going to give it or pull it in the run-pass option, that's going to be someone they want to toy with their brain a little bit. Make them think they have to trigger, trigger, trigger on the run, and then wouldn't you know it, once you trigger too quickly, boom, right behind you, fares up the gut, 40-yard slant, Strike up the band. Like that that kind of situation where he catches it, obviously not a 40-yard slant, but catches it right around, what, five, seven yards, gets north and south, strike up the band, good things going on for Auburn. Also, we're not going to explain the RPO because people have explained that to death in broadcasts, and quite frankly, 
y'all don't want to hear about that. So the run pass option scheme is going to be crucial. But if Texas A&M's front seven can hold up enough early and can put this into a situation where Texas A&M is up 13 points, Texas A&M is up by, let's say, three scores, 17-0. Well, then what happens? The game goes back on Peyton Thorne. And Peyton Thorne, as much as we think he's a talented quarterback, as much as we think of him as being the right guy at Auburn, there's been a little bit of a lack of consistency to this point. We said at the top of this breakdown, Peyton Thorne did not get spring practice. I believe that Peyton Thorne is still getting comfortable in this offense. Not a crime. Not illegal to take you a second to figure it out as the quarterback of an SEC football team. But against A&M, they have the talent in that front seven. Walter Nolan, LT Overton, they got some guys that can make your life a little bit uncomfortable. So if they can't run the football and the game goes on to Peyton Thorne, then things get a little bit interesting. Now, in the same way, I'm curious to watch this chess battle between Auburn's defensive coordinator, Ron Roberts, and Connor Wegman. Because for Connor Wegman, man, he's extremely talented. And that's not saying a ton. We already know that. You already know that if you watch college football and you watch Texas A&M, even if you watch them lose to Miami, you saw Connor Wegman do some really good things. They cannot allow him to sit back there and play seven on seven. Can't do it. You can't play conservative against this Texas A&M offense because they have too many weapons that will at some point in time get open. So what do you do? You have to dial it up a little bit. And when I say dial it up, it doesn't have to be applying pressure necessarily. It means you got to throw confusing pictures at him with this 4-2-5 defense. Ron Roberts has a essentially a non-defensive lineman rush defender called a creeper. Keep an eye on how they utilize that player, where they line him up at. Is he going to blitz? Is he sit, sitting back in the coverage? What is Connor Wegman doing with that picture? At best, could force some turnovers. Okay, we, we give our offense some extra possessions, give our offensive line that's a little bit dinged up a chance to gain some momentum in the run game, get a better push, and kind of wear on that front seven of A&M. Okay, hey, things kind of get rolling now if that happens. Now, at worst, if you're able to confuse him a little bit, you force some acclimation. Going back to what I just said about the offense for Auburn, maybe Texas A&M has a few more three and outs early. Maybe Connor Wegman's on the headset and they're saying, hey, what are you seeing? He's like, I don't know. Talk to me. What are you seeing in the box? Like that would be the conversation that could potentially happen if Ron Roberts is able to kind of win this chess game. So can you keep him guessing? That's crucial. Can you keep him unsure of the picture? Because the risk that you take there is if you gamble and try and be too confusing for Connor Wegman, you try and get too exotic, the more exotic you get, the more exposed you likely leave your defense and you don't want to leave your defense exposed against Evan Stewart, against Moose Muhammad, against all the weapons they have on that offense. And so if Texas A&M doesn't get confused, like you throw something out there in the first couple of series and he feels like, okay, actually, I do know what I'm seeing. You're trying to trick me. I already know what you're doing. I'm a step ahead. Bang, quick strike for Texas A&M. Things get dicey early for Auburn. Now, the game that is within this game that I think could maybe define who ends up winning this football game a lot of uses of the word game there, but I hope you're tracking. The question for me is twofold. Can anyone for Texas A&M in the secondary cover what Auburn has in that pass catcher room? I'm not talking just receivers. I'm talking Rivaldo Fairweather, the FIU transfer playing tight end. He is a freak show. Expect his targets to go up in this football game. Jay Fair, they love what he's done in the slot. Expect him to get a fair amount of targets. My concern is for Texas A&M, 
the way they looked against Miami, man, Miami didn't run the football extremely effectively, and they still threw the ball for like 370 yards. Like, Miami didn't force Texas A&M to play super honest. They just wheeled and dealed all around the yard. And outside of Xavier Restrepo for Miami, like there wasn't really a receiver that gives you a ton of concern if you're Texas A&M. Like it wasn't a bunch of just all pro guys running around, running all over A&M. You chalk it up to a talent thing. No, 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 no. They just got straight up beat. And I wonder if this Auburn pass catcher talent level is higher than what Miami had. That would concern me if I'm an A&M fan. So, one is, can they win if you're Auburn? And I don't mean win this football game. We'll talk about our pick here in a second. I mean, can your pass catchers win one-on-one? Can they win one-on-one? And if they can, that's the first part of it. It's only half the battle. The other part goes back to Peyton Thorne. I told y'all earlier, they want to make Peyton Thorne mean him, right? Hey, Peyton Thorne, game's in your hands. When your guys win, can you consistently hit them? has to be a yes for Auburn to win this football game. So listen, we, we were breaking this thing down in the room next to this studio right before we went live. I'm telling you, man, I went back and forth. Back and forth, I picked Auburn, then I picked A&M. Went back and forth for a little bit longer. I think this roster as a whole favors Texas A&M. I think the weapons and the way that it matches up for Auburn probably favors Auburn. What it comes down to for me, man, I have no clue on what Peyton Thorne's going to be. Not throughout his time at Auburn. I think over a longer period of time, he'll be pretty good at Auburn. I just think with this one being in Kyle Field and the quarterback play, in my mind right now, favoring Connor Wegman and the fact that Texas A&M, quite honestly, just has to win this football game. This is as much of a must win as you can have in week four as there is humanly possible for Texas A&M. I think Texas A&M, in a close one, it could go either way, could definitely go either way, but we're going to pick Texas A&M to win this football game, final score 27-24 to in College Station. Now think about this. For Jimbo Fisher, for Texas A&M, for the 12th man, you just have the ultimate, the ultimate just relief. And we have him winning by three, so if that field goal goes through as time expires, there is just the ultimate serotonin rush in in Bryan College, Texas, or Bryan College Station, Texas. Like, that would be the feeling. For Auburn, you look at the other side and you say, okay, we're not where we need to be. That's okay. There's a long runway here. But even so, man, like, the process continues. That's a good Texas A&M football team that you took to three points in Kyle Field. Now, I don't want to talk about the other side of things. If they do lose that game for A&M, like, it would be bad. We already said it would be bad. But regardless, should get a very good gauge for Auburn and for AM. There's no way to overstate how important it is for them to win at home and defend the crib. So that will be a lot of fun to watch. Can't wait to see that one. Can't wait to see how can't wait to see how AM approaches that one, man, to be real. Because AM, we've had a lot of questions about what they do schematically and what they do from an approach standpoint. Like the offense looks good to me so far. Petrino Wegman is off to a hot start as a uh, campaign to run for office in College Station. So we'll talk about that after it ends as well on Sunday morning. Going to get to y'all's questions in just a quick second. So get in, the ch- get in the chat, get in the queue, whatever you want to call it. Let me know your thoughts, concerns, your takes when it comes to this college football Saturday. Who has the most at stake? What is the most high-impact game? Let me know right now. Going to get to an ad really quickly, though, because I want to tell y'all about game time. 
Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals. All right. So forget planning months in advance. Forget the whole, oh, we got to make sure we have this weekend free because we're hoping we can get tickets for this game. Like, no, right up to the day of the event. You want to go to Florida State Clemson? You want to go be at that game? You can wait till Saturday morning. Game time has got you covered. The fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the big time matchups. We're about to get college football season rolling here. So the elite deals are over at game time. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets on all the sports entertainment events. The game time guarantee, this is cool. Game time means, the game time guarantee rather means you'll always get the best price if you find tickets in the same section and row for less. Game time says, you know what? We'll credit you 110% of the difference. So snag tickets without the stress with game time. Download now, this is crucial. Download the game time app, create an account, and use the code HARDCOUNT for $20 off your first purchase. You find some tickets you like, ah, a little bit pricey. I wish they were $20 less. Use code HARDCOUNT, $20 off, problem solved. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code HARDCOUNT for $20 off. Download game, game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So shout out game time for getting the people to where they need to go on college football Saturday, man. We appreciate them making it all happen. All right. Time has come. Let's get a few more likes here. Get us over 100. We'll be well over uh, our goal of 23 shows in a row, or I guess our goal today of 23 shows in a row with 100 likes. Uh, bottom line, like the video, and let's welcome in now the keeper of the queue, the best kickball player this side and that side of the Mississippi. Best producer in the game, Nick Brake. Nick, what's going on, baby? What's up, dude? Hey, speaking of game time, man, it's about to be game time here for you tonight. How are we feeling? Yeah, man, it is about game time. Game two of my kickball season. Um, obviously, I've had kickball season one after another all you know mm. all year, but this new season got game two. Well, we got some load tonight. management for you. Are they gonna like say, hey, no Nick break tonight? Load management, yeah, like you yeah. do in the NBA, like they give you like a, a quarter or two off. They'll pull me after the third inning. Yeah, I mean you got to let your best players be fresh for the playoff run. <laughs> no. Um, I uh, yeah I, I'm leading off tonight, JD. So I got to get ready. Let's go, let's go. I love it. What, what are we getting here in the uh, in the chat from the good people, Nick? First one's a hypothetical question uh, from Joshua Hinkle. First off, says uh, enjoy listening to the podcast. So shout out to the podcast. Heck yeah, Josh. Um, says and, and like I said, this is hypothetical. Would you rather be in the booth calling or color commentating, JD, a college football game, or would you rather be at the desk? Um, as an analyst, basically. Interesting. So he's saying, would we rather be in the booth calling games or be sitting here doing what we're doing right now? No, well, hypothetically, like, let's, I mean, because you don't want to say you're not working it on three. So let's say we got a game day <laughs> show or we cover games. Would you be in the booth um, or would you be at the desk uh, with the game day show? Man, I'll tell you what, I think the, the college game day desk is so cool. But I will say this, like, I've, I've done some color commentating for high school games. And there's something about that that's a little bit special because you feel like you're actually like a part of the game, which sounds funny to say out loud, but to actually break it down in real time and experience it in real time with the people, something kind of unique about that. Now, I'll, say, I'll make sure I say this clear. What we do here is the best job in the world to be able to sit here, talk about every single college football game, to break down every game, break down every matchup, and then come back here on Sunday morning and talk about it after the fact like that's that's the dream job that is the the incredible honor we get to have doing what we do right now so i would say probably color commentating over doing something like a pre-game show but even so man like the the tier one for me is what we get to do right now nick which is uh 
something we feel very lucky to do. But yeah, great, great question. I like that one. That's a good one. JD, not very many questions. So guys, uh, as I ask this next one, um, if you've got anything, speak now, hold your peace. Uh, this next question, another one that isn't necessarily about any game, but it instead is about where you're going to be this weekend in uh, Florida State Clemson over in uh, South Carolina. JD, where are you going to be at for pregame? Man, we're going to be all over the place. It's funny. We, we got the question like, hey, are y'all setting up a booth? Or are y'all doing a show there? Like, we truly will just be taking it all in, walking around the stadium, walking around Clemson, you know, seeing as much of it as possible. Uh, the producer going with us, Trey Yannity, who also does a phenomenal job here at On3 and on the hard count, he's actually from South Carolina. So he's got a little bit of the inside track as to where we need to be. I will say this, pregame though, we will be on the field for when they run down the hill. That will be phenomenal. Make sure you follow me on the socials at JD Paquel, especially on Instagram, because that's where we're going to kind of post that video on my story. And we'll kind of take in the sights and sounds of everything uh, before that game. So follow me there to kind of get some, uh, I don't know, what would you say? Inside access behind the scenes. I don't know what you would call it there, but follow me there. And we will uh, kind of go on that journey together. But we'll, to answer that question directly, uh, we will be all over. We'll be kind of roaming everything and uh, taking it all in. So it should be a lot of fun. That sounds like a vlog to me, JD. Is it? Yeah, it kind of. Yeah, I, got, I guess so. I guess a vlog on the on the story to a degree. Yeah. Are we, are we vloggers now? I guess so. Maybe. Uh, we go. got three more quick questions. Love it. Um, Luca or Luke, excuse me. Biggest deciding matchup for Ohio State Notre Dame. That's a tremendous question. The deciding matchup for Ohio State Notre Dame. I think it really will be. And this is kind of a, a funny way to answer this. I think it really will be Kyle McCord versus Al Golden, the defensive coordinator for, for Notre Dame. Because make no mistake now, Ohio State has the weapons to score pretty much at will. And that's across the board. Like, whoever they're playing, they have the chance to score in bunches. And so it's going to be crucial for them to make him uncomfortable, at least early in this game, to try and give this Notre Dame offense a chance to make their presence felt, for them to get a little bit of a head start. Because I don't think the Ohio State offense will stay down. Like, I would have a very difficult time imagining a game where... We come in on Sunday morning, and it's like, hey, Ohio State scored 17 points. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think that's the way that it's going to go. I think maybe you hold Ohio State a little bit in the first half, confuse Kyle McCord, but when that, when that talent starts getting rolling for Ohio State, especially on the perimeter with Mecca Egbuka and with Marvin Harrison Jr., like, those guys, I believe, will eventually get theirs to what degree and at what point in the game is going to be crucial. So slowing down Kyle McCord, making it confusing for him on the road, first start in that kind of spot, going to be very very impactful uh that's the matchup i'm watching nick jd um your your boys the baylor bears um you were there briefly yep. obviously in your yep. college tenure um is texas on upset alert this weekend you talked about it in the upset segment said it's really um nothing you're too worried about but sure it could happen it's definitely on the forecast it's one of those things where you go and check it and you say okay yeah it's possible it's possible it's going to rain, but we still feel pretty good about keeping our outdoor picnic plans. You know what I mean? Like, it's definitely possible. There's some things that scare you about that setup because Texas didn't look great against Wyoming. Maybe this is their get-right game. Maybe they kind of get back on track. It's on the road. It's a night game. And McLean does get rocking when they have the right matchup. This will be Baylor's Super Bowl. It'll be everybody's Super Bowl that plays Texas in the Big 12 before they throw up the deuces and get out of there. So there's a lot that goes into it that could make you nervous. I still think that, again, I think it's like a 15% chance of upset for Baylor to go in uh, and uh, beat Texas at home. But even so, we think that Baylor 
uh, probably does not end up defending home field against Texas. And we think the talent of Texas over the course of four quarters will probably end up winning that football game. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the person who asked the question uh, says that Baylor are dangerously underrated at home. You yeah. know that you've, you've seen a game there, right? They're sneaky, man. Yeah. Seeing see my up. fair share of games there. Yep. And Dave Aranda too, like in, in a one game setting, if you have one game and you have one guy to get you ready, I think Dave Aranda probably makes the list of individuals that you would consider to have your game plan. So defensively, I think they'll be ready to go. They'll be ready to go defensively. Can the offense do anything? You know, we'll see. We'll see. JD, last question. Love Arthur it. Chavez, where are the Cornell highlights, man? I have never found oh, them Oh, man. You know what? That, they, uh, they're out there. I'll say that much. They're out there. They may be under a private link. I'm not sure. So if you, if you uh, <laughs> do a YouTube search, I'm sure you can find them. They're, they exist is what I want to say. They exist. They're not just stuff of legend. They, they do exist. But uh, yeah, we're gonna make a we're gonna make it a little bit difficult to find as a whole. But regardless, Nick, I appreciate you, man. You know what? Speaking of highlights, we need to get a crew out to your game at some point in time to film the greatness that is you at the dish, leading yeah. off for is it Jurassic Bark still? Big kick energy. Okay, there we go. Yeah, for the for the boys at BKE yeah. and. Uh, yeah, we got to get it. We got to get a crew out there, man, to watch Absolutely. some highlights. Yeah, there. Uh, we'll be that game that's not on ESPN Plus, but it's like randomly on ESPN three, like whatever that is. Oh yeah, that's okay. We'll be playing tonight so on ESPN News. Yeah, Sweet. on ESPN News. Yeah. There it is. We'll, we'll catch get Nick for time break for Sports Center, but you know, we'll we'll do it. It'll be it'll be all over the top ten. I have no, I have no reservations so, about that. Yeah, absolutely. good stuff, Nick. Well, what do you say? Same time tomorrow. Same time tomorrow, my friend. That is the man, Nick Brake. Again, leading off tonight for the good boys at BKE in the, I think it's Germantown Kickball League. Regardless, we appreciate y'all tuning in, man. This is an absolute blast. We appreciate y'all making us a part of your Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. The best messages that, that I get from y'all, whether it's on Twitter or on Instagram, it's, hey, I listen to the show, and I listen blank at my job or at my internship or while studying or while walking my dog, whatever it is. Like Knowing where and how y'all listen and watch is just one of our favorite things. So get at me on Twitter, get at me on Instagram, at JD Pacell, and let me know. Follow me there, and we'll just kind of keep on building this community together. So we appreciate y'all tuning in. We are back on the air tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern. Give you our final thoughts for everything around these big-time matchups. Impact Saturday is on deck. It's going to be a movie. We will attack this final live show on Thursday together. Again, 11 a.m. Eastern. We cannot wait to see y'all there. I'm J.D. Pakel. We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. We will see y'all next time. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, 
It's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text HOPE NY in New York. 